That is who he is, the way maker, the one who is a miracle worker. So often we don't see, so often we don't even step out in faith because we lack that sort of fundamental belief that God is the one who makes the way, that all things are possible with him. And so we shrink back. But we, the scripture calls us in Hebrews, it says we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but that we are those who have faith. Today, we're going to continue to see in the life of Elisha uh, this challenge to believe belief, these challenge to allow God to be God in our lives rather than, well, quite honestly, we seek to solve it all ourselves. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak. And I just believe he wants to speak to each of us today. Lord, you do make a way. Lord, I watched you do it. I watched you do it on Friday. I watched you do it on Thursday. Lord, I saw you move when it just seemed like there wasn't a way. God, you moved. Lord, let our weeks be full, full of your miracles, full of your provision, full of your open doors. Lord, help us see with your eyes how you are working. Lord, how none of it depends on us, but all of it depends on you because you are Lord and you are King and you are the hero of this story because you are... (laughs) the one who loved us and sent your son, the heir of all things, to be both Savior and Lord. Glorify his name in this time. Let him be lifted up in our hearts and our minds and speak to us and change our ways that they would look like your son. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're studying the ministry of Elisha, and we're come to 2 Kings chapter 5. And, but before we do, I, I jump into that story. I, it, there's a story that I, I am reminded of. I, I like kids. I, I, I don't know if you know. I, I like little guys. They're, they're fun. It was so fun, though. Thank you guys for helping out on those of you guys that were able to help with Trunk or Treat. Wasn't that fun? I mean, the kids were super cute, and you guys did a great job. I really appreciate you guys doing that and coming out on a Thursday night. And we are blessed with those 80-some preschoolers who passed through our doors. Let's continue to pray for those families that God would open the way for us to minister and to love. I enjoy children. They're fun. It's fun to watch them discover and learn, right? Um, I remember one time with my niece, this is my wife's uh, daughter, um, Annie, and she um, was, I mean, I don't know, one and a half, two. You know, they have those shape sorter things, right? And you have the circles and the triangles and the, they all have to go in their individual slots, but they're made so that you can't put the triangle through the star and you can't put the circle through the square. Everything has to go through its appropriate shape. Well, my little niece was struggling because she'd gotten to the, 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 I think it was the star, and she couldn't, she kept, she, she could see that it's a star, and she had a star, and she kept putting it, but it was just off kilter a little bit, right? It, it just wasn't lined up exactly right, and she kept trying and trying, and it was like, this is the star, and that's the star hole, and it should go through there, right? But it wasn't. Well, being the wonderful uncle that I am, I very quickly was able to go, whoop, And there it went through. And it was like, wow, I got in trouble. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Mom, my sister-in-law, was like, she needs to learn how to do it all by herself. She needs to learn how to be independent. She needs to be a young, independent woman. I'm thinking she said two. (laughs) But okay, well, well, whatever. But, you know, she's like, I got in trouble for helping. I got in trouble for for demonstrating, modeling. It's in the Bible, becoming a disciple maker, modeling. I was modeling. I could scripturally define. But it was like, no, no, no. We want our children to be self-reliant. We want them to figure it out all by themselves. Guys, that's a good thing. And yet, 
it can actually become spiritually problematic in our lives because it can make us seem like we're too good for God's grace, that we're too good for the needs, uh, for, to allow God to be the one that works. And we think that the only things that are possible are the things that we can accomplish. Let's see it in the story today. Let's take a look. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. Um, you can look at it on your phone. You can look at it on the screen. I'll have it there. It begins in verse 1 with a man named Naaman. It says, Now Naaman, who was commander of the army of the king of Aram. So this is a different kingdom. This is not Israel. In fact, this is a kingdom who was oppressing Israel. It says, He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord notice that the Lord had given victory to Aram he was a valiant soldier but he had leprosy here's a guy who was accomplished right here's a guy who was full of success it says he was a great man a valiant warrior he'd become commanders of of the armies and a, a, the king of aram thought was well, because of this guy that we're winning all the battles that we're we're having success on the battlefield that we are conquering other kingdoms well this is a great guy this is my number one soldier this is my number one leader and aram must have felt very very pleased with himself as well except except he had leprosy now, you and I are both thinking, well, yeah, I guess that is a problem. Leprosy, this skin disease, this disease that made him sort of have to stand off from everybody else, this the disease that didn't allow him to be in the presence of others. So he's having to command the armies from afar, maybe send messengers back and forth, but he's seen as sort of unclean. He's seen as one who couldn't really be in proper society. And yet, because he's so valued, um, he's still given this high status, this high role. I think the real problem is he didn't recognize the fact the Lord was the one that was actually giving him the victory. God had a different plan in this whole situation, but we'll get to that in a minute. Well, look at verse 2. It says, now bands of raiders came from Aram and had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel who now served Naaman's wife. Okay, she was considered spoils of war. She was captured. She was, let's just call it what it is, she is enslaved. Um, she's now sort of a handmaiden uh, to, to help with Naaman's wife. And she said, though, even though she's this servant, even though she's a slave, she says to her uh, mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria. That's the capital of Israel. If, if only he would go see the prophet, that's Elisha, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, Naaman, verse 4, goes to his master and tells the king of Aram what the girl from Israel said. And of course, the king says, I mean, he's such a valued soldier. Verse 5, by all means, go to Aram, he replied. I'm going to even send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing to give an offering to the prophet and perhaps even to the king. Um, and verse 6, the letter took the king, that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I'm sending you my servant Naaman uh, to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Uh-oh. Here's what the king of Israel said. 
Look at verse 7. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes. And he said, am I God? Can I kill or bring back to life? Uh, Why does this fellow send someone here to be cured of leprosy? It's an incurable disease. See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. Verse 8. And when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me. And then he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. All right, let's stop there in the story. What can we learn from this situation? What can we learn? Well, in this next slide, I think is our main, my main point, I think, from this. We become too God, good for God's grace when we begin to perceive that we are too accomplished to believe that there's something we can't achieve. We become too accomplished to believe that there's something we can't achieve, right? We begin like a Naaman who's like, well, man, I won lots of battles. I've gotten A's in all my my schoolwork. Wait, 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 maybe I don't know if he had schoolwork. But I've won lots of wars. My master is pleased with me. I'm a valiant soldier. I've had success in everything I've done. We start thinking that we're the ones that can handle every problem. You know, that always happens until there's a problem we can't handle. We always think we've got it until we don't. Until it's, oh, leprosy. Until it's an illness. Until it's a boss that you can't seem to please. Until it's a class that you can't seem to pass. Until it's a situation that you can't seem to know how to go through. All of a sudden we think that we've got it. We have been trained to be self-reliant. The king of Aram, he still thought, sure, I'll write you a letter. Yeah, if we can get you healed that way, absolutely. Israel's kind of intimidated us. We're the more powerful nation. I'll write you a letter. And look at the response of the king of Israel. He's ripping his clothes. Now this is, I can't deal with this. How am I supposed to handle this? What, What am I supposed to do? How can I cure leprosy? Am I a doctor? I'm a king. And even if I had doctors, they can't cure leprosy. What, am I God? Can I bring someone back to life? Everybody's in a panic. Everybody's reached this point where we can't do it. We can't handle it. We can't achieve. Except the young lady who had been captured the young lady who was enslaved, the young lady who had no status, no position, no no, no, seemingly in the worst spot in the world, Maybe I'm back? Okay, back. That's not good. I'm going to switch to this. Can I switch to this, guys? I'll switch over here. Except for the lady who thought she was completely. I'll switch that off. All right. Except for the young lady who was completely dependent. Completely dependent on God. I'm sure glad we were able to fix that one, guys. (laughs) Isn't that what we do? We're so quick. We're so quick to run to our own resources. How can we figure it out? Am I loud enough to, to, to speak loud enough for all of you to hear me even without the microphone? Yeah, I probably am. How about the people on the internet? Can they still hear me? Probably not. <laughs> I, I, we try to solve everything on our own. We try to make it happen on our own. But we can't. Where Our accomplishments end up being the thing that hurt us in coming to God. It was this very story that Jesus referred to in Luke chapter 4. 
He's giving his very first sermon in the synagogue, according to the scriptures, and he's reading from the passage, and he's talking to them about how God's promises have been fulfilled. His promises of a Messiah have been fulfilled because he has come. And everybody's scratching their head. And Jesus says, well, a prophet's never accepted in his hometown. And he gives this example. He says in Luke chapter 4, verse 27, And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman of Syria. Now you've got to imagine that Elisha the prophet was there all the time, and there were a lot of people who had leprosy. But God's plan was to heal this man. I'm wondering how many actually of the other people even went to Elisha to be cured. Or did they just try to handle it themselves? Oh, God's not going to help with this situation. Oh, God can't be bothered here. Oh, my, my family will take care of me. Oh, we can handle it. We are too accomplished to believe that there's stuff we can't achieve. We think that if we just push and work harder, if we just try again, if we just keep working, we'll make it through. Brothers and sisters, there's a point in our lives that we can't get past. There are things that we can't accomplish. There are things that we can't do. And one of those is have a relationship with God. God's grace is what starts our relationship with him. He comes to us. He sent Jesus for us. I call this, I actually have a name for this. I call this the gated community syndrome. The gated community syndrome. I've been around um, our churches and our church life a long time, and we've often started new churches, and I think it's a good thing. It's part of our mission. It's part of what we do. We've helped Radiant Church get started here in Towson. Um, It's something we try to do. I'll tell you the most difficult place that we have in starting churches is in areas that have gated communities. Yeah, you can send them a mail-out flyer, hey, come to church or something, but they don't want you in. They don't want you coming uh, to, to invite them to church. That You can't really have activities there very well. And people honestly don't necessarily go to church because they don't think they need God. They don't need anything. They've, they've got their houses and their lives. They've got um, <clears throat> diversification in their 401k plans. They've got everything is set up so to protect them from the world. So often we try to set things up so that we have no worries, no difficulties. But we're not designed to live that way. In Proverbs chapter 30, um, it says this, verse 8, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me my daily bread. Otherwise, I'll have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. For most of us, I think this is the problem. We, we can get too much. We can get too much and think that we are completely self-reliant. We become too good. We achieve too much. And we think we have no longer need for the Lord. We become too good for God's grace. Well, let's go on in our story, picking up in verse 9. It says, Now Naaman uh, went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored to you and be cleansed. Wow, that's it? That's all I've got to do? Go to the Jordan River, wash seven times? Sounds not too bad, sounds pretty easy. You would think Naaman would jump on that. But he doesn't. Look at verse 11. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out 
and wave his hand uh, over me. He would stand and call on the name of his God. He would wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy in verse 11. He thought, he thought, he thought that God would require him to do some great thing, that he would have to do something very difficult. There would be some kind of magic potion. There would be some kind of special trinket that he would have to put there, that, that the, 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 uh, Elisha would have to do some kind of special magic or something. He, he thought that God ought to act in his way, in, his, in the way he thought. But Naaman went away angry. Well, in verse 12, he goes on and he complains more and he says, Are not the Abana and the Far 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 Par rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? And they're cleaner, they're nicer. Why do I have to bathe in this dirty river? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? I've washed there a bunch. Why hasn't my leprosy gone away? So he turned off and went off in a rage. Verse 13. But Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father. If the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? Verse 14. So he went down, so he went down to and dipped himself into the Jordan seven times. And the, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. What can we learn from this story? What can we learn from this message? <laughs> We don't have to do something great. In fact, when we expect, when our expectations are we have to earn our place with God or we have to do something to earn God's love or we have to do something great, sometimes we miss it, right? We become too good for God's grace. Here's the next point. Here's the next slide. Because you are so often entrenched in the world's ways, we fail to see heaven's gifts. Let's be honest. We don't not only teach our children to be self-reliant, but we teach him that if you don't work, you don't get. At least we're try to, right? Grandparents, sometimes we like to spoil, right? You don't have to work, you just get. But, but really, we're trying to teach him that, hey, if you want to earn a little extra money, go out and do some chores. Hey, if you want to get a good grade, you need to study. Hey, if you want to get a promotion at the job, do the extra, go the extra mile, do the extra thing. We teach this, and then once again, it's not a bad thing, but so often we're so entrenched in the world's ways that we become, well, too good for God's grace. We think that God works the same way, that he's just as transactional as every other thing in our life, that somehow I've got to work hard to get God's approval. Somehow I have to do things to get his forgiveness. Somehow I have to, I don't know, cry more, weep more, grovel more. Maybe I have to serve harder, give more time, give more money, be at church. Somehow I've got to earn God's love. Brothers and sisters, there could be nothing farther from the truth. Nothing farther from the truth. God's grace is a gift. His love for you never fails. It's all summed up in Jesus. And the scripture is clear. Jesus is clear. John 3, 16, he says, For God so loved the world, not that the world earned his love, that God so loved the world, that God gave his only son, gave his only son. It's a gift that whoever would put their faith in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Wait, 
It's put your faith in him. It's believe in him. It's trust in what Jesus did in his death on the cross that earns your forgiveness. He did a great thing. He made an awesome sacrifice. He gave it all because you couldn't. You could never earn God's love. You could never do enough to pay for your sins. So Jesus did it on your behalf. The incredible love and grace of God. In 1989, um, that was the year I graduated from high school, I think. We're so cool, we're so fine, we're the class of 89, something like that. But I I think in 1989 there was a movie that came out, so that's an oldie. Um, It was called The Mission. It was called The Mission. And it was about two men. One was a Jesuit uh, missionary um, in South America. And he had started a mission trying to share the love and good news of Jesus uh, with the people who lived there. And the other was a slave trader, someone who was doing one of the most horrific ills to other people, that sins against, other, against humanity that you could ever commit. Uh, this man was literally capturing and forcing people to, to be taken out of their homes, away from their families, ripped from their lives, and, and enslaved and working somewhere else for the Portuguese. Well, the slave trader became a Christian. He realized his wrong uh, through the work of this missionary. He, he realized the horrors he had committed. He realized that, that, that he had been the, the used uh, in the most horrific evil way to, to destroy and, and, and persecute and harm uh, others. And when he came, to, it gripped him. It gripped him. In this next slide, you'll see a picture. It's a scene from the movie. And this slave trader trying to feel like, how can I make amends to these people that I'm living amongst? How can I show them my heart? And he's trying to do some kind of penance. And he took all of his soldier's armor, all of his belongings, the wealth he had earned, and the things that he had from his slave trade. And he tries to carry it down the river and tries to carry it up a waterfall. It's slippery. It's wet. He's slipping. He's falling. He's hitting the rocks. He's carrying this heavy, heavy weight. He's trying to do some kind of penance, some kind of way to earn forgiveness. And this young boy from the village kind of crawls up beside him and watches him, looks at him struggling, pulls out a knife and cuts the rope. And all the materials just fall away. The man thought, maybe this boy is going to kill me. I deserve death. They should, he, I should, he should exact revenge upon me. And yet, the boy just loved him. The boy just forgave him. The boy just let him go. It's this picture of God's grace. You can't earn it. Jesus already paid the price. In Psalm 51, it says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, O God, will not despise. The Apostle Paul explains it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. On the next slide, it just says this. It says, It is by grace that you've been saved. Through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. We are so entrenched that the only way you get the A is by studying. The only way you get paid is by working. The only way you get the promotion is by excelling more than the next person over. The only way, brothers and sisters, when it comes to God, the only way is Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father 
except through me. Jesus' grace is not earned. Jesus' grace is accepted. His forgiveness is given freely. His grace is placed into our lives freely. We have to kind of turn around and say, no, he's the way maker. He's the one that's provided for us. He's the one that in our lives gets us through in the career, in the grades. He's the one that has a life for us that we can trust and we can follow. Not just forgiveness, but for every day. This applies. Naaman learned grace that day. Well, okay, he almost did. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. Then Naaman uh, and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He's been cleansed. He stood before the prophet Elisha before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all the world but in Israel. Oh, that's what it was really about. There's no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. Here, here, I want, I want to give you something in return. Here, I want to pay you for, for this great miracle, for this cleansing in my life. Um, this transformation, not just of my flesh, but of my heart and my belief system. Now I know God and I believe in him. The prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though he, Naaman urged him, he refused. You see, once again, here's the, the, the example. The, Elisha knew that as he is not accepting the gift, as he's not accepting payment, he is demonstrating God's grace. He is showing that it is freely given. It is freely given to him without cost without payment. You see, for us as believers in Jesus Christ, the debt has already been paid. In, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, on this next slide, it just says, God made him who had no sin uh, to be sin for us so that we might become in him the righteousness of God. Jesus has made us acceptable because he traded places with us, took in our sins, paying for them on the cross so that we now might be the righteousness before God. Naaman's life was changed. He was different that day. The story goes on. Verse 17, it says, Well, if you're not going to accept a gift, then, then, then let your servant please be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. Wait, what? <laughs> Why are you hauling dirt around? Now, <clears throat> sometimes we want to get some good soil, you know, use a nice potting mix for your, you know, your, your flower bed or something. That's not what this is about. Um, people of that time often believed certain gods reigned in certain areas. So, so the idea here was Naaman was like, no, your God is really the true God, but I'm going to be living back in my country, so I'm going to take some of your, I'm taking your God with me by taking some of his dirt. He hadn't quite figured it out. It's all God. It all belongs to God. Same dirt. I feel sorry for the mules because they had to carry this dirt for no real reason there. But he wanted to, you know, he wanted to load up some mules with some dirt. But okay, he's going to do it. All right. He says, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings or sacrifices to any God but the Lord. He says, but, you know, okay, here's the deal. But may the Lord forgive your servant one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimnon to bow down, and he's, he's leaning on my arm, and I have to kind of bow there when the king of Aaron is worshiping his God. I'm going to be there. I'm not going to be praying. I'm not going to be worshiping. He says, verse 18, when I bow down in the temple of, of Rimnon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. I won't be worshiping the gods there, but I kind of got to go through the motions or, you know, for me. Elisha says, go in peace. He'd been changed. He'd experienced the grace of God. He, he, he knew something completely different now. 
But brothers and sisters, there's one more part to this story, and I don't want you to miss it, because I think this might be us. There's another guy in the story. He's not mentioned yet, but here he comes in verse 19. After Naaman traveled for some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master was way too easy on Naaman, this Aramean. He didn't accept from him the gift that he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I'm going to run after him and get something from him. I mean, remember, do you remember all, those, all that gold he had? Remember all the silver, two talents of silver? All those fresh sets of clothing? Clothes have gotten really expensive. So, I mean, I'm thinking that, I mean, that might be worth more than the gold at this point. Um, have you gone shopping lately? It's not easy. All right, so, I mean, he's gone out. He's like, I'm going to go get the clothes. I'm going to go get the, some gold. A li- just a little something. Verse 21. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running towards him, he got down from his chariot to meet him. Is everything all right, he asked. He said, well, yeah, everything's fine. Uh, everything's all right. But my master sent me to say two young men have come from the company of the prophets and have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, Naaman says. And he urged Gehazi to accept uh, them. And he tied them up, the two talents of silver and two bags and and, and two sets of clothing. And he gave them to two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. Verse 24. Now when Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and he put them away in his own house. And he sent the men away and they left. So you get the picture? He lied. He just wanted to get a little something-something, a little extra, a little, little, little something put away for retirement. You know, he's been serving Elisha here, and Elisha's not taking any money. Well, if Elisha's not taking money, then how am I going to get paid? You know, I'm, you know, I'm just going to have bypass. You're not thinking about the economics here, Elisha. There's a little bit more going on here. You need to go ahead and take a little money here. This guy's rich. He's got plenty. What's it going to hurt him? We've enjoyed the, 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 he's enjoyed spiritual blessings. Shouldn't we enjoy some material blessings? Let's see what's going on here. Verse 25. Now, when he went in and stood before his master, Elisha, Elisha says, where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere. That's not going to go well. Verse 26. Elisha says, was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to take money? or to accept clothes, or olive groves, or vineyards, or flocks, or herds, or male or female slaves. Is it time for any of like accumulating wealth? Verse 27, Naaman's leprosy will cling to you, Gehazi, and your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence, and his skin was leprous. It became white as snow. My last point that I kind of drew from this is that sometimes we are too self-important maybe even too judgmental to rightly show God's grace to others. We start making people feel like they've got to earn it. We start making people feel like they've got to be a certain way. Well, if you're going to come to our church, you're going to have to dress a certain way. You're going to have to act a certain way. You're going to have to, you know, this is just how we are around here. You know, we can all of a sudden start creating some kind of barriers that are not barriers that God has called. Now, or do people need to repent of sin? Do people need to come and follow Jesus? Absolutely. But when it's these, I don't know, 
side issues. These things that we start thinking, we've got to kind of do it our way. You've got to talk like us. You've got to walk like us. You've got to do it this way. I started to sound like an Aerosmith song. All right. Uh, um, uh, but <laughs> talk this way. Walk, you guys remember that one? Okay, I don't know. I, it shouldn't have been in my head. All right. Uh, but, uh, wait, he knows Aerosmith. Okay, you're not supposed to know Aerosmith. You're the pastor, right? I mean, wait a second. All of a sudden, we start making barriers for people to come to Jesus. All of a sudden, we start making it seem like you've got to meet our standards when God has already made a way. The way maker has already shown his love. Jesus has already paid the ultimate price to bring them in. How are you the judge? How are you the one to start saying, no, 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 you've got to do this or that? Or maybe we're just too self-important. Like, well, you know, <clears throat> I've really served around here. I've really done a whole lot. Maybe I deserve. Maybe I should get it. i got to be honest, that might be the lesson for me. The temptation is always like, well, haven't I given? Haven't I sacrificed? And boy, God's got to rework my heart going, hmm, have you really? Jesus went to the cross. What did you do? And it's a reminder that no, no, we need to re reflect God's grace in all things. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said it this way, as you go proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Not because of you, not because of you did it, it just has come, it's grace. So heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out the demons. Freely you've received, freely give. And in Matthew 7, Jesus again says this, so don't judge. Don't judge, or you will be judged. For in the same manner you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Brothers and sisters, let's be really careful. Let's make sure we are showing God's grace as he showed it to us. That the God who loved us um, loves all. That he's the one who can make a way. Let's be those who don't feel so confident in our own achievements that we don't realize that everything is a gift from God and that in all the challenges we're going to be facing, he's the one that gets us through. Let's mirror that in both salvation, our message, how we proclaim the message of salvation and how we live our lives in the face of troubles. Let's be those that reflect always the servant attitude of Jesus who washed his disciples' feet on the night he was betrayed. You remember that night, right? Today, in our worship, we're going to remember that night. That night before Jesus went to the cross to be rejected. Let's remember. Let's remember how he was beaten and mocked. Let's remember how a crown of thorns was placed upon his head. Let's remember. Let's remember how Jesus was nailed to that piece of wood, how he stripped for all to see, how he had to live and be in agony so that the sins of the world might be taken away. Let's remember. Let's remember. On that night when Jesus, the King of all, the Lord of all, was with his disciples, he, he washed their feet, and later in the evening, it says he did, gave us something. He gave us what we call now the Lord's Supper. It was Passover time. They were celebrating God's deliverance. And they had bread and they had wine. Well, that night, he gave it new meaning. That night, he gave it as a gift to us to remember what he did for us. So today, 
the music's playing, we're going to think about the Lord for a few moments. Think about all that he went through. Think about all that he said. And then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. If you don't have uh, the elements, uh, uh, you can slip up your hand and they'll be brought to you. Take a moment to remember the Lord and his sacrifice. So today, we remember as the Apostle Paul recounted that night, he said, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he broke it, he said, do this in remembrance of me. When you're ready, eat the bread in remembrance of Christ's body. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your body that was broken, that was nailed to the tree. Thank you for the pain you endured. We pray these things in your name. Paul tells us that in the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant or the new agreement in my blood. Do this, drink it every time in remembrance of me. Let's remember the Lord. Jesus, thank you for dying, for giving your life and your blood that we might have a forgiveness and a permanent relationship with God. Thank you for bringing us, bringing us to him. We pray these with gratitude in your name. Amen. Today we're going to sing one more song, a song of, of remembrance, a song of celebration, a song to proclaim who God is in our lives. But as we do, it's also a song of decision. Some of you may not be believers yet. You've never said yes to Jesus. You've never come to him uh, and said, forgive me. That free gift is available, but you have to receive it. If that's you today, would you come? Uh, I'll be here at the front. Pastor Barry will be here. You come and you respond um, if that's you. Or maybe you want to be part of this church and say, this is where we're supposed to be. Yeah, we, 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 we want to commit to this place. You come. This is a great time of decision to come and celebrate with this congregation, this body of believers. Or if there's some other issue in your life that you just need to talk to somebody about, we'll be here. You come. You respond.